World wars, great recessions and depressions. Humans taking their first step on the moon. Your baby taking their first step. Maybe when you turn 21. Or sometimes, sadly, those sudden events, a horrible accident. Someone you love leaving you. And today we have COVID. Do significant events define us? Do they change us? And are these changes permanent or temporary? Do they impact the very essence of the human being and our ongoing search and quest to be happy, be a better person, be settled, confident, be purposeful and grateful? How does the being and the human being change through these events in terms of how we think, feel and behave? And how does this all ladder up into how we behave to each other? To our family, our friends, our community, to how we respect our leaders, to how we respect our planet. These are big questions, essential questions that deserve answers. We have such a feeling that we're in the driver's seat. We have such a feeling that we're in control and we are making the decision that it's very hard to even accept the idea that we actually have an illusion of making a decision rather than actual decision. Joining me today are two people that have those answers, Kelly Peters and Dan Ariely. They're two of the world's leading thinkers on the subject of behavioral economics. Both are co-founders of BE Works, Canadian company with an international reputation. They counsel government and corporations. Dan Ariely is a best-selling author. His TED Talks are among the most popular in the world. And what they share with us today has the power to transform you. Not just you, the people who matter most to you, possibly even Canada going forward. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Hi, I'm Tony Chapman, and welcome to Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. In this show, I chat with ordinary people who do extraordinary things, and in doing so, we capture their life lessons, lessons that inspire us to do more and to be more. My first guest, Dan Ariely, is one of the most sought-after thinkers and speakers on the planet. Chances are you'll recognize his voice if you're a fan of TED Talks or American News. Dan was born in the States, spent his formative early years in Israel. He's the author of several best-selling books, including Irrationally Yours, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. He's also the James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Behavioral Economics at Duke University and a founding member of the Center for Advanced Hindsight. Dan, welcome to Chatter That Matters. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Can you describe what you do to my audience and more importantly, why behavioral economics matters to them and the world within they live? Uh, So I wake up uh, every morning and I think about uh, what mistakes we make when we make decisions. And I mean, we, in all kinds of ways, um, in our personal life, in our professional lives, in uh, how we uh, eat, how we sleep, how we spend money. And then I think about uh, what we can do to fix those things. How can we improve them? And this is for me what behavioral economics really is. Um, at one level, uh, behavioral economics is a contrast to economics. Economics assumes that people always, always, always make the right decision. Behavioral economics says, no, let's, let's examine when people make the right decision and not. And we find that people often don't make the right decision. And then the second step is to say, and what can we do to make things better? What kind of tools we can give people for better, uh, better decision making? So it's on one hand, analyzing where we go wrong. And on the other hand, it's figuring out 
what we could do to help. So when I look at your work, done some incredible uh, office, some incredible books, I've heard, listened to your TED Talks, a lot of it comes to three pillars. Humans' relentless quest to be happier, to be healthier, and to be wealthier. We tend to dream for this, but where do we fail in our ability to really pursue them with the same passion as much as they're constantly in our thoughts? So, so there are a lot of things that derail us. Partially, it's, it's lack of knowledge. Uh, partially, it's stupidity. <laughs> and a little bit of that is evil, um, you know, in, in, intentional. You know, if you, if you think, for example, about emotions, uh, emotions are obviously a, a big source of joy. But emotions also turn out to be one of the things that derail us very often. And just to think about an extreme example, uh, think about driving and all of a sudden your phone vibrates. And uh, you know that it's not a good idea to text while driving. Nobody, nobody says, you know, for, for next year, my, my new year resolution is to text and drive more. No, we know it's a stupid thing to do, but your phone vibrates and, and you start being curious about what is it? It must be really important. Maybe somebody really looked for me and you check it and, and, and people die. Now, of course, this is just one example. There are many of those. It's an example where our emotions overtake us in a, in a bad way and uh, get us to lose a lot. And it, it's in, it's in sleep and it's in health and it's spending money. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's about caring about the planet. It, it's everywhere. So th the world has a lot of traps for us uh, in terms of how we make decisions. Give me some other examples of things that we, in, in, we know we've been taught by our parents. We've been taught by the school. So there's a fine in front of us if we do it, but that we tend to continue to fall down that trap. I think it's about how little we care about our health. It's about sleep. Uh, it's about money, how we, how we handle our money for a uh, you know, rainy day in retirement. It's about our investment in relationship, how much we care about the planet, and then hate. We know how much the, the planet would be better off uh, without so much hate and how much we're unable to do that. And, you know, we, we kind of hopefully toward the end of COVID, but, you know, COVID was um, an extreme example of, of how much we fail as humanity. Imagine, imagine if we could wash our hands, keep social distancing and wear masks, right? If we could only manage that, where would we have been? Uh, but somehow as, as humanity, we have been unable to do that. What is it inside us that you study about behavior? Because we're going to get into our relationship with money in a minute and our relationship with others. But the bigger picture, why is it that we inherently know these things are the right things to do, but we feel within of us, we f somehow find permission not to do them? Let's just take example, your COVID example as masking, washing hands. Yeah. So, so there are two main forces, maybe three main forces at work here. The first one, wearing masks is no fun. Any particular moment, if you ask yourself, would I prefer to be without mask or with a mask? You prefer to be without a mask. It's just not fun. And we often prefer to do what's fun for us in the short term rather than what's good for us in the long term, right? That's why chocolate cake is more appealing than, I don't know what, kale. The, the second thing is that when we misbehave, we don't necessarily pay the price for it. You know, the, the, let's go back to the texting and driving example. You know, the cost of texting and driving is that you could die or you could kill other people. Right? That's a big cost, but it doesn't change behavior. Uh, imagine that instead uh, I sat next to you uh, on, in the car all the time. Uh, every time you touched your phone, I would open your wallet and take $5. 
every time, 100% of the time. Now, $5 every time, it's nothing compared to killing somebody else or being killed yourself. It's a, it's a very, very small cost, but that would change your behavior. You would stop very quickly, right? It wouldn't be a text message or you say, oh, this one is worth $5. No, you would, you would stop immediately. What happened when we don't wear a mask is we don't get punished. You know, the world is probabilistic and delayed. Uh, so if I don't adhere to my diet or I don't sleep well or I don't exercise or I don't take my medications or I don't wear a mask, I don't get immediately punished. It, it accumulates. You know, at some point it will, it will get worse, but it's not immediately and now. So we learn the wrong lesson. Every time somebody around COVID is misbehaving and doesn't get a bad feedback and it's a probabilistic disease, right? Your odds of getting it is, is small. We learn the wrong lesson. So I... So one day I don't wear a mask, nothing happened. I say, hey, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Uh, one day I text and drive, nothing bad happened. I say, hey, you know, maybe it's less dangerous than I thought and, and then keep on going. And the third thing is that we see more bad behavior than good behavior. Think about driving again. Do you pay more attention to the people who are driving over the speed limit or at the speed limit? You know, of course you, you pay attention to the people who are speeding. It could be enough that, you know, 3% of the people are spitting, but it would look to you like a lot because you pay so much attention. So again, we see the bad actors rather than the good actors. And, and we take that as the biggest sign of what's a social norm. Uh, norm is. All of those things are, are contributing. Coming up with Chatter That Matters, I chat with Dan Arelli about our relationship with winning and losing money and why he made behavioral economics his life pursuit. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. Text me anytime at 71010. Subscribe at chatterthatmatters.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You know, are we Superman or are we Homer Simpson? Um, when it comes to building the physical world, um, we kind of understand our limitations. Uh, we build steps and we build these things that not everybody can use, obviously, but <coughs> we build them. <coughs> we understand our limitations and we build around it. But for some reason, when it comes to the mental world, when we design things like healthcare and retirement and stock markets, we somehow forget the idea that we're limited. And I think if we understood our cognitive limitations in the same way that we understand our physical limitations, even though they don't stare us in the face in the same way, we could design a better world. And that, I think, is the hope of this thing. Each week, you can download the latest episode of Chatter That Matters as a podcast from your iHeartRadio Canada app. Now more with Tony Chapman. Presented by RBC. It's Tony Chapman, I'm chatting with Dan Ariely. He's a distinguished professor at Duke University and author, co-founder of BeeWorks, which is an incredible Canadian organization. When I opened up the show, Dan, I talked about how significant and often sudden events can collapse the very foundation where we're standing. And in doing so, they can also teach us about ourselves, things we didn't know, which often leads to new pursuits and passions. At age 18, on a Friday afternoon, most teenagers are obsessed about their weekend. You find yourself at the center of an explosion, and it badly burns your body. I read Painful Lessons, the journal that you wrote about your experiences trying to recover. It was among the most powerful words I've ever written, and I'm a big fan of your, your text. It was, it was so powerful. I want to ask you about the life lessons you learned going from that 18-year-old skipping through the world, thinking about girls in the weekend, to waking up, most of your body badly burnt, and how that led you to deciding that 
you're going to dedicate your life understanding this concept of human behavior. Yeah. So, um, first of all, thanks for the, the kind words about, uh, writing some of this, uh, it was very tough and very healing. Um, so, so indeed I was, I was burning about 70% of my body. I was in hospital for three years initially, and then some more, and it changed my life in, in many ways, by the way, some of them I'm, I'm still figuring out. I had specific challenges. I had questions about how you remove bandages from burn patients. And I had arguments with the, with the nurses and doctors about how to do it. And when I left the hospital and started studying, I, I, I studied that. I did experiments on that and I proved that they were wrong in their approach. And I figured out a better way to remove bandages from burn patients. I, I learned about placebos, how pain uh, really works. You know, from, from that perspective, it was a, a magnifying glass of where things go really wrong, I, I had a very strong urge to, to fix it. And the second component was that I was separated from my friends. And all of a sudden I was in, in bed for three years. Um, other people continued with their lives. I wasn't. You know, there's something about being on the bed, detached from life, uh, the, the standard thing that, that basically I think made me, uh, on one hand, in a, in a very sad way, not a participant of life. Right? Uh, even when I, I went to, I, when I gradu graduated from the hospital, when I left the hospital and went to university, I was still in pressure bandages. I was in this brown suit, like Spider-Man. My whole body was covered with the brown suit with, with holes for my eyes, ears, mouth, and nose, and that's it. The rest of it was covered. Unlike Spider-Man, it was, it was hot, scratchy, and everybody was, you know, dating and sitting on the grass. And I was kind of going to class and then going to find a, a cold space to, to, to sit next to an air conditioner. Being, um, let's say a side actor and, and observing things from the side, I think was very helpful as a social scientist. I had a chat recently with somebody about COVID and this was a woman who called me and said, oh, you know, um, all this thing about the, the pandemic and maybe, maybe it doesn't deserve to be a pandemic. Not enough people are dying. It's not just the, you know, like the Spanish flu. I told her, you know, I said, I said, you think about the people who are dying, uh, but I also think about the people who are on respirators. I described to her what it feels like to be on a respirator. And I haven't thought about it in a long time and what it feels like to be, but it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling of, of helplessness, uh, dependency, and, and fear, and all the, all the sounds of the machines. And, I, and then I just burst out crying. The lessons about helplessness, about being at the mercy of some machine, and being attuned to the sounds it makes, and being so afraid, um, I, I haven't thought about that for, for a long time, and then the consequences of that. So there were lots of life lessons. A lot of what happened to you in the past, in many ways, is happening to listeners now, not knowing where I am, who I am, and where I'm going to go. What advice are you bringing to people to help them cope with the three things that you're very focused on, being happy, being healthy, and obviously finding a way to be wealthy? So one of the, the main things, as you point out, is the lack of control we have during this period. COVID is not just COVID. It's a period in which a lot of our freedom has been taken away from us. All of a sudden, can we go to work? Can't we go to work? When will our work be open? Will our work be closed? What will happen to the stock market? Will our kids be able to go? I mean, the, the amount of uncertainty. Will restaurants be, be open? You know, and two years ago, I asked you if this is possible. You would say impossible. 
but we got so used to so many freedoms that were taken away from us. So we are living in an era with a very, very low sense of control. So that's, that's one, one, one thing. And to fight that, we need some control back. In the patient world, uh, there's something called patient control analgesia. And they basically give patients uh, a button uh, that says you are entitled to six dosages of morphine. You can pick the time in the day when you want them with some limitations. That's an amazing difference. If you have this button, you just holding that button feel like you have control. And I think the same thing needs to happen in our lives. We all need to gain some control. Now, one way to gain control is what's called shopping therapy. <laughs> it's an expensive way, so I'm not recommending it. It could be an exercise. It could be putting money aside. It could be uh, picking a diet. It could be all kinds of things, but we need a sense of control. The other thing is that we need a plan. Very hard to have short-term plans. And even if we have a plan for the summer, we have to recognize it might fail. We can't live just waiting with no, with no plans. I really hate all these books that say the best thing that ever happened to me was my injury. Uh, for me, certainly not the case. My injury was horrific. I wish it on nobody. Uh, but there were a few small benefits from that as well. I, I, and I think the same thing we can ask about COVID. I used to fly, uh, be out of home 300 days a year. <laughs> <laughs> that has changed. I uh, used to eat out all the time. Uh, I learned to cook. My pattern of spending money is very different. I'm sure it's true. It's true for, for most people. So COVID is a period. It will be when it will be over and um, there'll be a tremendous pressure to go back to normal life. But I think it's an opportunity to ask ourselves before we sucked into it, to ask ourselves, what do we want to go back to? And what don't we? And try to stick to that. Because unless we make a list, uh, life will, will have its own power to, to get us back to it. When this period started, I also wanted to make sure I finish a big project within that period. I want to do something fun, meaningful, uh, that, that at the end of the day I would say, this is what I did during that period. So I decided to write a kid's book. And I just finished this and I'm ready for it <laughs> to be over. Pick something that this would not just be a lost period. It wouldn't be just a period when we waited for, for it to end, but we did something. Can you talk a little bit about the work you've done and offer some advice for people to say, this is what matters to the individual. And whether you're running a company, leading a team or within a company, here are some of the things that we need to make sure exist so that we can, we can go home and say that was a good day's work. I think that's kind of the spice of life is to feel that we are making progress toward somewhere. Uh, incredibly important. A second thing I'll tell you, come from a very different direction. I did a study on um, about 1,400 companies uh, during COVID, about 1,000 people per company, how they feel about the company. One of the things that was the best predictor of companies who did better in the stock market was companies when people said that they feel appreciated. Think about what it means when somebody says, I see your effort and thank you. By the way, salary doesn't matter. Right? You, we, we think it's about salary. No, it's not about salary. It really is about being appreciated. It's about having a plan, agency, and control. We'll call this hope. Feeling appreciated, mattering uh, for, for the agenda. Somebody is noticing uh, our effort appreciating this is the second one. And then I think that the third one has to do with human relationships. 
uh, humans are inherently a social animal. We'll see what the prices will be for COVID for people who are uh, alone. I think it will be tremendously bad for people who had uh, very little physical direct contact with other people. I, I think we, we still don't understand how to even evaluate that. But I think that basically having connection with people, feeling a part of the team, joint effort, all of these are incredibly important as well. Coming up in Chatter That Matters, I chat with Dan Arielli. A couple of things that I'm going to take away from a, a lot to take away. Text me anytime at 71010. Subscribe at chatterthatmatters.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. I'd like to give a big shout out to RBC's Future Launch, a $500 million decade-long commitment to help prepare 3 million youth for the future of work. And how? Providing young people access to meaningful employment through work experience, skills development opportunities, networking solutions, and mental well-being support and services. Powering today's youth for the jobs of tomorrow, that matters to RBC. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, presented by RBC. It's Tony Chapman. I'm chatting with Dan Ariely. He's a distinguished professor at Duke University, and author, co-founder of B-Works, which is an incredible Canadian organization. Dan, what are you going to do next? You just finished your children's book, the project that you want to do during COVID. Ten years ago, you were going to do a cookbook, so it's good that you continue on these paths that are very different. What can we expect from you, and how will that ladder up into individuals making less mistakes, which is where we started off today, and hopefully something that has broader range in terms of our relationships with each other, our community, trust the planet? One is I think that it's been clear that governments need more help. I got so many calls from so many governments with so many questions over this over this period. I was happy I could help some, but it's something much deeper. You know, the, the ability to study something, learn, get data, and figure out responses uh, is needed by every government. And I think we need to create a mechanism. Think about the question of furloughing people. What an amazingly big, complex question. All of a sudden, you do it at scale. Lots of things change. Think about the question of distant teaching from uh, for, for school-age kids, for first grade. You know, what does it mean? These questions that are going to come at us at light speed uh, are going to keep on happening, and we need to create something, some mechanism to do this. So I want to figure out this, this mechanism. You know, I, I told you a little bit about this, uh, thinking about being... On, on a respirator and what it means. And lots of extra people died during COVID and, and people died in, in terrible circumstances. It brings to the, to the forefront the fact that we, we don't have a good relationship with death. Somebody asked me if we can, if we can beat death. I said, you know, it's, it's about how we die. It's not that we, we have to die, but it's about how we die. And every time we have a meal, we, we end the meal with a dessert or like a high point. The end of life for most people is, is terrible respirators, uh, hospitals, uh, terrible pain, confusion. Th this is not the way that you would design the end of life. Now, I don't have a good answer for this yet, but, but I think the end of life is not done well. There's no question about this and can be done much better. Now, there are legal, moral, all kinds of questions about that. But that's, that's the next big question I want to, to try and make some progress 
I think that our humanity, uh, the memories we leave for other people, the financial costs, I mean, all, all of this, we, we, it's, just, it's just a part of life that we're dramatically mismanaging. So many people I know now are saying, I'm going to leave the cities. The city was where I went for my energy, my jobs, my, my life. Do you think we're going to see a mass exodus out of the cities at, at the end of COVID? I think, I think we'll see, I think we'll see some of it, but, but I don't think it will be as big as people think. Um, I, I'll tell you that I also have like a thirst for nature, which I, uh, surprised me. I, I thought, I mean, an apartment kind of a guy and all of a sudden I want, I want, I want more nature. But I think, I think we are so social. We are so social. Uh, people are underestimating the joys of sitting in a coffee shop with other people around. I think people are, I mean, because we couldn't do it, they, they didn't see it. And it's not exactly something that you can say, oh, this is worth $10 a day. It's, it's, it's a kind of a um, feeling that you have from being around other people and, and meeting people that you, you know already and nod and the, the corner vegetable store, whatever it is. I don't see a big, a big exit. I do think that it's a really interesting question about what businesses will do in terms of work from home. And that might have an impact uh, on all kinds of, all kinds of things, including real remote work. But I think that the magnet of the cities will be there. A couple of things that I'm going to take away from a, a lot to take away. But I'm going to focus at you, the individual. Purpose is everything. Find that purpose in life. Have a plan. That purpose could be just simply, what are we going to do in six months? Find a way to go after it. Know that you can go after it in several different ways. Measure, continue to congratulate yourself. Reinforce, reinforce others. We are humans. We're social creatures. We deserve that happiness. We deserve to be healthier. We're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. But if we have that sort of North Star in front of us, there's a good chance we're going to be better off than we were before. So if I can get you to do one last thing, can you do the introduction? How would you introduce Kelly Peters to, uh, to this radio show? What would you say about Kelly? Kelly Peters. Kelly Peters is a quirky, creative a philosopher at heart, a music lover, and adventure creator who also has a passion for science. And she's on two missions. I think she's on a mission of getting people to use the scientific thinking and in general to find a methodology to separate fact from fiction. And then within that, she specializes, of course, in, in behavioral economics and behavioral change. And, and she leads BE works in terms of how do you take the theoretical constructs from the literature and uh, weave them into the fabric of companies to make things better. I think she'll be smiling when she hears that. Dan, I know how precious your time is, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I'm such a, uh, a fan of yours. I wish I had 10 days instead of uh, an hour, but thank you so much. I'm sure we'll do, we'll do more of it. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Quite an introduction. So you and Dan are pretty good friends. We've been friends for many years. Where did you first meet him? I had been writing in his book, Predictably Irrational, with a felt tip marker. And I'd been reading that book in a little chair right beside the ocean and a big wave, just one of those rogue waves came. It was like bigger than all the other waves. And I had just been quietly, gently dabbling my toes in the water. And then this wave came and socked me knocked me over, hit the book. And the felt tip marker had just 
you know, smeared like, you know, Courtney loves mascara page after page. And we were at a fancy event back in Toronto and there was this big line and I was kind of sheepishly approaching him. And this was the book that I had. This is the book that I handed him. This is the book that I asked him to sign. And you should have seen him, you know, look up <laughs> at me. And uh, I invited him out for a beer that night and he showed up. And I had a bunch of other work buddies with me that night. And they were like, he's here. I'm like, yeah, he's actually here. So he charmed everyone. We talked about science and we've been friends ever since. Kelly B Works is a firm you co-founded with Dan Ariely and others. It's the world's first commercial consulting team. So happy you're based in Canada, but it's dedicated to the application of behavior economics to solve your toughest challenges. I've sat through hundreds of focus groups. You say, are you an environmentalist? Everybody puts up their hand, but when they walk into the store, they won't pay a penny more for an environment, environmentally friendly product. How do you get people to go from thinking and feeling about something to actually behaving the proper way? So first of all, if you ask people, this is the classic sort of Lake Wobegon, right? Everybody is above average uh, in terms of their capabilities. And when we ask people, do they waste food? They say, uh, yeah, sure, some, but they're better than most people. What our approach did was, Instead of asking people, hey, will you do a better job of using up that food that you got in your refrigerator? We took a completely different approach to actually solving the challenge. Because if you ask people straight up, first of all, in this case, they don't even realize that they're part of the problem. If you look at things like uh, how much money you waste wasting food, actually, that number isn't necessarily the biggest number in the world to be a big motivating factor. So we have an awareness issue. We have a motivation challenge. I don't have a good motivational lever. The gap between what we say we do and what we actually do is huge. How can we design a choice architecture that actually gets at solving the problem? So what we found was that one of the biggest barriers that we all face, I know that you've done this too, Tony, you open up those fridge doors and, you, and the fridge is like full of stuff, right? And you're standing there and you go, I don't have anything to eat. You might have half a carrot. You got some lettuce. Maybe you've got, you know, one garlic bulb left, but you don't realize that you can actually turn those, in, those ingredients into a meal. We taught people how to actually improvise to have creative confidence using a formula that they can learn how to use up those ingredients themselves and instead learn how to cook creatively based on what you have on hand. Coming up next, Kelly Peters talks about how mentally exhausted we all are, what are the consequences, and why are so many people saying no to vaccinations? Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. At one hand, we all want to look at ourselves in the mirror and feel good about ourselves. So we don't want to cheat. On the other hand, we can cheat a little bit and still feel good about ourselves. So maybe what is happening is that there's a level of cheating we can't go over, but we can still benefit from cheating at a low degree as long as it doesn't change our impressions about ourselves. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. I'm chatting with Kelly Peters, a world-renowned thinker on how people think, feel, and behave co-founder of BE Works, an exciting Canadian consultancy. In this segment, I chat with Kelly about the scarcity mindset, our mental exhaustion, 
and why are so many people saying no to vaccines? You recorded recently as saying COVID-19 has created the perfect storm for Canadians to experience a scarcity mindset, a feeling of not having enough, be it time, money, or social companionship. What is the danger of having a scarcity mindset? And, and what should we be worried about? The scarcity about? mindset is something that has been researched extensively in uh, different economies trying to understand um, what the impact of, of scarcity, not just scarcity of, of assets, but scarcity of, of time and, and even cognitive resources. We don't think about how mentally exhausted we are. And we don't think about the consequences of that mental exhaustion. At the end of the day, we just kind of want to shut off. We grind through whatever work and family obligations that we have, but then we just leave ourselves just cognitively depleted. And in that space, it's incredibly difficult to make good, sound, long-term decisions. The consequences that we face are short-term decision-making. We end up being selfish. We end up feeling pessimistic. Um, and, and in fact, sometimes we become very drastic and, and extremist in our thinking. So that scarcity mindset doesn't put us in the healthiest place in terms of the choices that we're making for ourselves. Or for our society. So why I have you, I also want to talk about something that's in the news is vaccinations. I mean, we were consumed by the fact that we weren't getting enough. Vaccines are starting to arrive and not enough people are taking them. You've done some major studies and one of yours talked about 63% of Canadian ad adults are vaccine secure and tend to get vaccinated as quickly as they can. But then you have 28% that are on the fence, another 9% that said they wouldn't get a vaccination at all. What are the reasons why so many people are on the fence or completely against it? When we asked people about their vaccine intention, we found that people are coming to this decision with a different starting point. There's differences that we have in our what's called scientific uh, literacy. This is just what's the knowledge that people have about things like basic science about, you know, is an electron larger than an atom. We also ask people questions that help us understand how they think about science itself. Do they value belief over evidence? So we found that amongst people that are vaccine hesitant or opposed to vaccines, we found low scientific knowledge and we found low scientific thinking. We also asked another set of questions around how much do people use analytical reasoning versus intuitive reasoning? And then last but not least, we ask questions around, do you believe in the conspiracy theories? Do you believe that, you know, maybe Bill Gates is behind this initiative, that there are um, nanobots that are um, placed inside a vaccine gel that can be controlled by 5G cell towers being driven by a global elite in order to create the Great Reset. Now, we ask people these questions, and it turns out that more than 10% of the population believes things like that to be true. Now, I do have to say that isn't everyone. We also have people who have been disenfranchised from the healthcare system itself. We have Black Canadians, Black Americans, Indigenous populations who have well-founded fears of the medical establishment because of ongoing systemic abuse and disenfranchisement from the system. 
unfortunately, we see that reflected in the data. Now, the good news is we are seeing that starting to change. We are seeing that the community outreach, the answering of the questions, the providing of the science, the resolving the fact issues are actually leading to significantly improving willingness to get vaccinated intentions within those communities. One thing I really want to talk to you about, Kelly, because you, you know that I want you to one day lead this country because this is, this is how much I respect your brain. Dan Ariely talks about how democracy is based on trust. We trust our leaders. We behave for the good of others. We pay our taxes. And he's suggesting that trust is broken. That's right. Trust is absolutely fundamental. I mean, the first thing we have to do is we need to understand where trust is broken in our society and in what ways. Where governments can go is to focus on rebuilding this distrust by engaging people in a very different way in policy. We need much more transparency about the decisions that are being made. I think one of the things that we could use in Canada is a communication task force. We have COVID-19 task force that are focused on, obviously, the, the complex issues around things like procurement and so on. But we don't have a communication task force that brings to life the stories of how people are being impacted and showing just the breadth of that continuum in small businesses and individuals. And I know that your show has been doing an incredible job of bringing these stories to life so we can have conversations about them. But we also need to talk about how we communicate risk. A lot of people still believe that COVID-19 is no worse than the flu. Well, why? This is such an extreme view, and we have so much science to show that the consequences are far more severe than the flu. So why is that? So how can we facilitate a dialogue that helps us to get on the same page about the simple facts about the risk? And we need transparency on those trade-offs and the rationale for the trade-offs that are being made. So communication task force that engages citizens to help people represent those things would all be helpful in improving the, the dialogue and the, and the trust. Chatting with Kelly Peters, CEO and founder of BE Works. And I said earlier on that uh, I thought Dan might have exaggerated your uh, introduction, but after listening for the last 15 minutes, I think he uh, under-exaggerated. You just have so much to offer. I'm going to bring you back on and we're going to do a full show on how to, uh, some advice for the leaders in Canada. But what's the best way for people to find out more about Kelly Peters, your thinking, what your organization's doing and some of the research? So much of my work right now is in supporting BE Works and the incredible mandate that our team has, which is to transform society and the economy through scientific thinking. This is the fundamental aspect of what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people be curious, to be fact-based, to understand how to create evidence and interpret evidence in a way that lets, you know, moves away from political ideologies into that common ground that is facts. So BE Works has got a social media presence through the usual channels. We've got the Twitter and the LinkedIn, where we've been publishing our research and very much value people's participation in that research. Kelly Peters, thank you so much for joining me on Chatter That Matters. And I hope you know I'm going to uh, knock on your door again in the next near future, because I want to do a show very much from what you're talking about is changing mindsets and finding that middle ground. Thank you again for uh, spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Tony, for an absolutely incredible show. I have a favor to ask. Can you subscribe to or follow Chatter That Matters wherever you get your podcasts? 
platforms like Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple really value subscriptions in terms of how they rank podcasts. I'm Tony Chapman. This is Chatter That Matters. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.